and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be here with you. We are covering puppy raising right from the start on this podcast, and although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is my first time raising a puppy too, and I'm right in the trenches with all of our listeners on the good, the bad, the cute, and the stinky. Today we're talking to Matthias Lenz about lessons you can learn from how service dog puppy raisers work with their puppies. So if you're hoping to have a dog that listens well and works nicely with you around town, make sure to stay tuned. So Matthias was born in Switzerland um, and was raised alongside two Tibetan Terriers and a menagerie of other pets. Um, He always dreamed of working with animals, which I know I can relate to, and he's got experience traveling, working, and living abroad, which eventually led him to Vancouver, Canada. He's been working with dogs professionally since 2011. In 2016, he transitioned into working with service dogs at BC and Alberta Guide Dogs. In his current role as manager of the puppy training program, he oversees the early training for service dog puppies in preparation for guide, autism, and PTSD service dog work. Matthias has 10 years of experience as a professional dog trainer and is a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. He's also a supporting member um, in the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants and currently serves as chair of the Working Animals Division. He is an engaged and well-respected member of the international dog training community and has written and published several articles in the peer-reviewed IABC journal. Matthias has also presented his work at international conferences and events, including the 2019 Assistance Dogs International Conference. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Sounds yeah, very we're really... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it always does. Uh, that's fine. It's, uh, it's very I'm still learning, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, we all are. Um, and as we're getting started here, I just want to remind our listeners that the podcast is supported by members on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you get to support this podcast and get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. You can sign up over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. So Matthias, I think let's kind of start out. Um, this is a very broad question and is basically the idea that we're going to be covering throughout the entirety of this episode. But what are some of the things that are kind of quote unquote average puppy raisers can learn from how guide dog organizations or service dog organizations implement their puppy raising programs? Uh, yeah, I think there's lots, lots to learn because I believe like uh, the... The typical service dog is your ideal pet. Like they Mm -hmm. don't steal things. They have good house behaviors. They don't get up on the couch. They don't steal things. They're, uh, yeah, they don't get into things they're not supposed to. They ignore distractions. They're friendly with people. They can pass uh, a lot of distractions. Um, Yeah, so it makes the ideal pet. So lots to learn there. A lot of it is the dogs that we have and breed it's all purpose-bred dogs for service dogs so um it's not realistic to attain all of those things with your pet if your dog is a complete different breed because we do use uh, mostly labrador uh, retrievers for a reason because they do work really mm-hmm. well for us and even there uh there's different labradors uh, you know the field bred ones or ours uh which are mm-hmm. different um, yeah, but I think uh, the other, uh, another one aspect that I didn't mention is uh, the settling aspect. I think uh, settling mm, is really mm-hmm. important for our service dogs. And most people, 
apart from those couple hours that they spend at the like doing exercise with their dogs and doing training or having fun activities most of the day we want our dogs to basically be invisible and not uh, pester us too much and that's also uh uh the goal for us with our service dogs because a lot of times they have to go uh, to work with the clients and they need to just uh, be invisible there so that's uh, I think yeah we can learn a lot from from that as well yeah absolutely and I you know I'm glad that you mentioned that you do as a service dog or uh, organization try to stack the deck in your favor with with the genetics and with the breed which is something that is really important for our puppy raisers to think about our puppy owners and it's something we've talked about earlier on this podcast um, but so let's let's start out with with working around distractions what are some of the things that your um, service dog puppy raisers can start implementing or do start implementing to help make sure that the dogs um, are able to do that more successfully as they they reach the age where they're old enough to start working. Uh, yeah, we start like very early on with uh, impulse control exercises. Uh, okay. And basically what it is, is uh, we're rewarding the dogs for not responding to those distractions, right? Because I think a lot of times what happens is we're like when the dogs are being good, there's no acknowledgement. The, mm, like mm -hmm. the dog is being good and we're like phew and didn't react good like uh, and and there's no acknowledgement um but when the dogs act up all kinds of things happen and a lot of times our responses to the dogs acting up can be reinforcing for the dogs because we might then bring out treats or we um, interact with them start paying attention to them um so our goal really is to to reward the dogs for not re responding, and that could be sitting, standing. Uh, so what we're really looking forward for is like not moving forward. We want the dog to not advance forward uh, and stay responsive. So we use a marker, uh, just a mm -hmm. verbal marker, and we can use the marker as a um, gauge on whether the dog is still there or is now. Uh, too intense about it so if, if uh, we basically use the engage disengage game that anybody could look that up uh, mm -hmm. it's a great way where you just mark the dog as they spot a distraction but they're still at a distance where they can handle it you just mark reward and if the dog doesn't respond it's already information for us like okay we're too close now we have to increase the distance uh, but if they respond we mark reward and then pretty soon we turn big returning the the distraction into the an opportunity for reward basically so the dog is like there is a ball and uh if a ball gets run around and i stay here like i or check in with matthias if i don't move towards it then uh i will likely get a reward and we just slowly then decrease the distance to get closer and closer to those distractions so everything has to be uh we try and set the dogs up for success uh by creating distance and doing less of a distraction so with the ball for example we would be at a distance and roll it slowly and then slowly increase either the the uh decrease the distance or increase the intensity and and roll the ball harder and harder as long as the dog succeeds we slowly move uh make it harder uh but once the dog shows us that they don't stop responding to the to the marker for example then we want to back off a little bit and yeah yeah, yeah, I love that you mentioned um, mentioned noticing um, if your dog isn't able to respond to the marker or isn't able to eat food 
noticing that as a cue that you, we need to make the training easier rather than waiting for the point where the puppy is actually, you know, lunging or barking or spinning or, or showing more kind of overt signs of stress. And I think that is such an important thing that, that good trainers do, do well and do naturally um, that our, our novice puppy owners might not pick up on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing that is really important, I find like I, when I started training dogs, it was all about the watch me, watch me or look command, right? Like you, you, like I would, uh, and with my own dog, I was at a point like she had some aggression issues and stuff. And so I got her through any situation pretty much by asking her to look at me. Um, but absent of me telling her what to do, she had no idea what to do. And so like, mm. if I didn't see the dog first and could uh, tell her to look at me, she then would lunch and bark. Um, or if, if, yeah, it's just like, I had to constantly be on it and I had to tell her what to do. And if I didn't, then she would likely have a reaction again and with the engage disengage game the environment is the cue right like i don't have to do things so they spot the dog and they i, I might miss rewarding it but that's not even uh, the worst thing that can happen because if you uh, then reward the next time then you're still on the right track um so yeah it's like it's the dog knows what to do on their own without my me telling and that's for me it's like in all of dog training i kind of want to uh create a dog that just reads the room and and does the right thing on their own without having been told what to do because otherwise we're um yeah we're stuck in that like if i don't tell my dog to do what to do then they don't know what to do themselves and then what i find like this is best case scenario so i was pretty good already at that point in teaching that so my dog didn't have frustration uh when i said uh look like she was like happily looking at me and she could pass the dog so there wasn't uh but I, what i find with with less experienced people a lot of times uh the dogs experience frustration once they hear the look like because they are like you are trying to distract me off this dog that i want to mm -hmm. see uh and then they get this conflicting uh, like this frust frustration is uh, building up in them um so yeah, I find that is a lot of times a problem as well. And with the engage, disengage, we are not there trying like we we are, but they don't know that we are uh, really trying to distract them off the other dog. So it's like it's their own idea and therefore we have more buy-in. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I, yeah, I agree. I, I think I'm lucky that I came into dog training um, recently enough that I didn't do a lot of the look, look, watch me sort of stuff. But I know that was really, really common for quite a while. Um, and I might have just gotten lucky with who was teaching me. Because I learned engage, disengage, or Leslie McDevitt's look at that sort of game right away. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I, I'm pretty sure the information was there for me. I just didn't hear it because like mm, once mm -hmm. I understood the difference, like people would talk about check-ins and auto check-ins. Uh, and once I understood, I'm like, oh my God, it's so, it's different. The dog checking in with me and re me rewarding that versus me asking the dog to check in with me and rewarding. It. It's a huge difference, but I'm pretty sure for the longest time, I just, I read articles, I read things and I'm like, I'm doing this already. I'm doing the look. Uh, and then once mm. I, I, because once I understood the difference, then I saw it everywhere. I'm like, oh, people, like, there's lots of people 
talking about this like for me it was like oh my god i discovered this new thing and i'm like oh yeah. no everybody's already discovered it <laughs> yeah yeah that it's funny how that happens we just get so stuck in i mean and, and and it sounds like the watch you sort of stuff was working pretty well for you in a lot of cases so that's part of why it's hard to change um, yeah yeah definitely so- uh, the other big kind of chunk of behaviors that you had mentioned, um, so we were, you know, we're talking about working around distractions, and I think we've given a couple good examples of that. But let's, let's pivot a little bit to talking about settling, which I think actually ties into the other thing you said that I really love is, you know, we want to be trying to raise our dog to be able to read the room um, and react appropriately. And it's one of the things I really love about at least my adult border collies. Um, you know, he can, he can tell when I'm wrapping up a zoom call and when I stand up from my desk, he pops up and he's ready to go. Um, but as soon as I kind of sit down and am settling in, he's asleep. Um, our, our feet are touching, um, (laughs) right now. Uh, and that's a skill that my six month old puppy still doesn't have. Um, which is why he's in the crate and not loose. (laughs) Um, so what are some of the, some of the things that you, some of the exercises or tips you give your puppy raisers for either settling or helping a dog read the room if, uh, I guess either or both. Um, So yeah, with settling, I think food can be really useful, but a lot of people are misusing it or using it the wrong way. So like a lot of times you hear like, Oh, I'm trying to use food settling but it's not working and i don't think it's that food doesn't work i think it's that it's the application um and what i mean by that is that a lot of times uh like for example we we use a marker right we use the yes and and the yes if the marker is charged properly the dog should have some emotions around that uh marker and usually there that's uh loaded with excitement so if my dog lies on my on the bed and i go yes and then i excite my dog and the settling just got ruined the dog was just ready to settle like finally lying down after doing whatever uh and i just re-excite the the dog so what i do is i i do not use the marker and i uh advise people to to not even make eye contact because even eye contact can already be like oh you're looking at me uh um and then also the way I move and uh, makes a big difference. So if the dog is on their bed over there and I want to reward them for settling, if I walk in a straight line towards the dog, looking at them, then they're like, oh, you're coming to me. What are we doing? Uh, if I'm like slow motion walk in uh, sideways, kind of crab walk or even backwards sometimes, slowly bent down, don't look at the dog and feed a, a tree. Very often what happens is the dog uh, takes a treat eats it and goes right back to that relaxed mm-hmm. state. And then mm-hmm. uh, I'm fairly confident at that point that I've just rewarded settling. Uh, at least I didn't ruin settling. Um, so I, I advise on that. We do that. Uh, we practice that. Like when I meet up with puppy raisers and the dog is excited to see me usually, like we wait for the dog to to just take it down a notch. I don't b- maybe need a, a full-on settle at that point. I'm just like, oh, it's a little bit calmer. Let's reward that for a moment. And then we do that a couple of times. And then we see the next stage, like the dog is like, from sitting lying down Mm -hmm. or stops looking at me and then we can reward that and slowly shape it to what we really want which is a full settle um so that's one aspect and then i do find um there's an exercise that's pretty big in the balance community it's called sit Mm -hmm. on the dog and i kind of like that uh like it's what it is it's like you sit on the leash 
and you just ignore your dog. You, the, the dog, you don't provide any, any, um, not a Kong or anything. Uh, you give the dog enough room to, to comfortably lie down, uh, sit, um, and then you ignore your dog. And uh, with puppies, mm-hmm. if if done right, uh, like this can be a really stressful experience for the dog. Like if a dog is used to getting attention or whatever, like they might bark and like be really distressed about not getting the attention that they used to get. So like uh, it could take a very long time with a, with an older dog. But I find with puppies especially, like right, they, they don't have a, a history of uh, learning that they can get that attention or whatever. So typically with our puppies, if we do it early on, we, 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 and we choose the moment, the right, right? Like, so we set the dog up for success as always. So we, we are take, choosing a moment where there's nothing going on in the house. The dog has had exercise, they're fed, like all the needs are mm-hmm. met and they're basically ready to go doze off. Uh, then we sit on that leash and then the dog, may or may not have like a little bit of a protest mm-hmm. like they try and get your attention or they're like not so happy being on that leash which is ignore that and then the dog will finally settle down and uh, for that exercise typically we don't uh i don't use food i advise against food and the, the reason is only again is because people uh oftentimes accidentally reward a a fake settle um, I don't think it's wrong using food, but you have to be really careful to not reward like a dog that is lying down. I'm lying down, get, get my food. So in the initial stages, um, I, I, I yeah. just mm-hmm. caution. Like a lot of times, food is not necessary, um, and it can cause problems. It's not that never I would I use food. Definitely. Um, and then. So we get what you what you're creating is the dog learns this picture like I am like and I was gonna do this when I'm on my computer or whatever. So the dog learns like oh Matisse is on the computer I'm on the leash the, and it's just time to settling right uh, to settle and then um, we slowly increase the the distraction level right. So in the beginning we set them up for success uh, and then we slowly do it at, at uh, auto intervals where they, mm-hmm. you know, they might be a little bit hungry or, or there is maybe something going on in the house and it's not that quiet and the dog wants to participate in that. Um, but again, trying to set the dog up for success, they should have a little bit of a, like, I want to participate. I'm a little frustrated by this uh, not being able to, but then they learn, okay, uh, I'm not able to participate right now. They relax and then, uh, we'll move on from there and then it becomes very quickly becomes natural for them to 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 settle in that environment and then we can slowly uh eventually you don't even have to sit on the leash like they just learn to settle that they're not always have to be part of everything um so yeah i find that uh and i so i kind of like yeah. do both things right like i do the, the shaping relaxation and that's typically done without leash and then when i do the leash i kind of like create this picture like reinforcement is out of the picture right now um and i find the two of them kind of uh get you really good results yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense and i know yeah i i've also found that for a lot of like a longer term true subtle behavior yeah i think food can be a challenging thing to use as long as 
Um, especially if the dog, if the dog already kind of has a little bit of that settling skill, which is why it's so nice to have both that you're doing, you know, because you're helping teach them that skill with the food and reinforcing it. And then also setting up scenarios where you're really actually like the goal would, in at least in my case, and I'm not sure with service dogs would be to just have the dog go to sleep. And I can't train a dog to go to sleep using food in most cases. Do you find as well, I know um, there's a lot of suggestion, you know, a lot of dog training um, spheres talk a ton about high value reinforcer. Is that, um, is using a lower value reinforcer helpful for settling behaviors in your experience or what other kind of pitfalls might come up with, with using food um, either for settle behaviors specifically or just kind of training in general? Uh, yes, no, definitely for, for settling, like even kibble for something like we, uh, we work with labs and they're all super food motivated. So what I was saying earlier is like you, you, I watched the dog's response, right? And I, I, I definitely advise to uh, using kibble. So that was a really good point. Like if you use hot dogs to try and reward settling, like the hot dog likely excites the dog again. And they're like, you just ruined your settle again. They're like hot dogs. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would definitely use lower value rewards for the settling. And then, uh, and then even if I'm using lower value rewards, like for some dogs, it's still like the, the kibble might still excite them. So I, I watched the dog's reaction to it, right? Like I was saying earlier, like my mm -hmm. chin on the floor is a really good indication that the dog is is quite settled. When their chin is on the floor, they're probably quite settled. So if I feed the dog a kibble and then they chew it and then their chin goes right back on the floor. Now I'm like definitely haven't ruined my settle, probably have reinforced it. Mm -hmm. um, and if I feed the kibble and now my dog sits up and looks at me, then I'm like, okay, it's not working. It's not working right now, uh, potentially. Uh, and if that is always the case, then I just can't use food with that dog uh, for settling. Yeah. But I really have to say, like, I feel like you can always like I, I haven't I don't think I have met that dog where food can't be used at all um, but not in certain circumstances or you gotta be totally. really wait for the dog to fool it like you know there's a lot of I think you get a lot of that fake settling um, yeah yeah where do you I know I definitely did when I was first teaching barley how to do it I was getting a lot of him like rolling from one hip to the other and like do you see me settling now yeah. do you see me settling now do you see me settling now and when I've actually removed food from the picture that that really helped um kind of build up uh his ability to to tr more truly settle yeah yeah so I think um we had a couple other things kind of on our to-do list so we're going to change change gears a little bit here and talk about sleep for puppies um, and how important that is and what it can kind of look like when our puppies aren't getting enough sleep. So do we want to, what do you have to say there? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to say that like I used to kind of bang my head against the wall in the past where, where people would come and they're like, my dog's so bitey or whatever. And what I would concentrate on is like all the advice for a bitey dog. You do this, you do that, do that. And then, like, um, it wouldn't always work and I don't know where I picked it up, but somebody pointed out to me, uh, that a lot of times it's, uh, under, 
underslept and like i started focusing on that more so like now when i hear excessive biking biting like all puppies bite uh but if i'm like you know like my arms are bloody or i can't get a break it's just really a lot of times i hear a, the dogs being aggressive which like i would doubt that it's really aggression but like yeah it's just like kind of getting out of hand mm -hmm. then the first thing i go to is like how much is your dog sleeping and the majority of the time it's like oh they're like up a lot um and 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 then i explain uh to people that like when they're seven eight weeks they should have 18 to 20 hours of sleep as far as i know um and and you look at that and then they're like oh no like it's up all day <laughs> and then and, and then it comes back to the settling like we have to do the settling exercise because they, these dogs don't know how to turn off they don't know how to mm -hmm. um settle right so we have to work mm -hmm. on on settling but once we work on the settling then the biting goes down significantly um so mm -hmm. yeah i think that the sleep part is is huge and it's like for people and dogs alike like they, they get cranky they they can't absorb the information as much as you want to and and yeah life gets so much better if you give an underslept puppy sleep <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and i know we've talked a little bit about sleep and scheduling and how to help uh, help people through that in some previous podcasts here but i know i mean you can you can kind of see my, behind me i use gates and crates um pretty religiously still with my six month old to help him kind of settle and sleep um when i really need him to and he's pretty good about sleeping as much as he needs to loose now and he has been for about a month which i'm really lucky for um but even in situations like this where i'm just i'm on a podcast recording i don't want him chewing on a squeaky toy he's still um because of the the work we've done now if i put him in the crate or in the pen um he does kind of naturally settle and fall asleep there now because we worked on that so much when he was a puppy and it's just a godsend. Yeah. And that's the, the, it's not a contextual cue, right? Like it's the, the, the crate. Mm -hmm. I'm like, now it's not the time I don't get to uh, be crazy right now. And it's the same thing that we do with that sit on the dog exercise. It's like, it's, it's instead mm -hmm. of the crate. And then what I find is that uh, the crate is sometimes like harder to fade out because it's like, that mm. geographically versus sitting with the leash on like it's a it's it's the natural right like that the dog is in the room with you uh and then mm -hmm. the, all that changes is the leash comes up and it translates better than uh, uh from the crate so i think but, that makes sense but uh nothing wrong with the crate and and uh, we yeah certainly yeah. Yeah, I know one of the, um, I, I am pretty obsessed with Karen Overall's relaxation protocol and kind of using that as a way to start teaching mat training. And I've adapted it a little bit. Um, I think the original protocol talks about having the dog sit. Um, I use it as a down and kind of work on that as a way to get the dog to settle on a mat that I can then bring a lot of different places. Um, and I haven't started it yet with my puppy, but it's something I like because then you can, you can bring that mat as a context cue to a lot of different places and start um, teaching your puppy how to hang out at, you know, an outdoor patio or um, other dog friendly areas. Yeah, no, it's great. And I like I, I, I've heard a lot of good things. I have played around with the Karen overall 
protocol as well. I I struggle getting my puppy raisers to do it. I will send it and they're it's like, tedious. thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's why I'm not uh, doing it that much. But I know the ones that have done it, uh, or sometimes we have even done it at classes, um, it it works. <laughs> it's good. You yeah, just have to actually it does do work it. really well, but it is very tedious. Yeah. I know. I mean, I haven't started it yet with Niffler, um, but I've been through it a couple times with Barley and it's always been really helpful, um, you know, bringing it to different places and just kind of restarting it uh, in the before times when there were co-working spaces, I would <laughs> do it there yeah. a lot. Um, so I think the last, um, the last thing, if I remember right, that we were going to talk about was um, tips for avoiding leash frustration. And I think this could probably be its own podcast in and of itself. But, you know, leash, leash frustration is so common, especially for our urban dogs nowadays. Um, and it's really not acceptable for a service dog. And I think everyone, if they could, would like to avoid it with their pet dogs as well. So what are some of the things that you work on with your, your puppy risers and your puppies to avoid leash frustration yeah i think like the first thing i work on is my puppy raisers and teaching them like empathy for what's going on right like i feel like uh there's always just the expect expectation that we put a leash on the dog and they should behave but it's so unnatural and so frustrating like and, and so i always uh just uh, ask my puppies to put themselves into the dog's shoes. Like imagine somebody puts a call on you, a leash, and now drags you towards the thing that you are a little nervous about or drags you past that thing that you really want to go see and how frustrating of an experience that that, that would be. Um, so because I feel like if we start understanding how uh, and are more empathetic, then, then we're less likely to, to have those uh, frustrations. Um, and and because I think when we're frustrated, that's when like uh, we we're gonna start correcting the dogs, hopefully harsh and whatever. And then um, yeah, I just try re to remind myself and puppy races that like they're not trying to be difficult or whatever. It's uh yeah, it's tough. It's tough for them. And then I find it's really important to teach the dogs um, how to navigate the leash. So I I really want my dogs to understand the leash not just like you know they've been re reinforced for being on the loose leash but also like what happens when leash pressure happens because it does happen uh, eventually so mm -hmm. i want my dogs to to not uh not get overly stressed about the leash pressure um so we can we can just make it a positive so what that means is like we put a tiny bit of leash pressure on the collar the dog moves into it and then we reward that so there's a um, silky leash is krisha stewart mm -hmm. uh so that yeah. uh, along those lines um just teaching the dog like yeah every time you you move into that leash pressure good things are happening and then what i find really important is to translate that to life rewards because um I want to then teach the dog moving into that uh, leash pressure will make me bring you to where you want to go. So the way we usually do mm -hmm. it is we, we use a toy uh, and I try to not do it overly excited. I just drop a toy on the ground and my dog, my puppy is like moving towards that, that toy and tries to get to it. And I will not, I'll, I'll make sure I have some fixed pressure there so that the dog doesn't get any closer. Like they hit the end of the leash and they're not getting there. Um, and then um, what we can do is either when they stop 
pulling, we can just move over with them and say, go check it out and on, make sure that it's on a loose leash. Uh, or we can even put a little bit of leash pressure on them. They move towards me because previously I've rewarded them for moving into it. And then once they move with me, I move with them to the toy. But basically, mm, really, mm -hmm. like, you try and go towards the toy will not succeed. Uh, like, you trying to pull me towards the toy will not end in success. But you checking in with me, moving towards me, staying on the loose leash, that will make me bring you to the to the leash. And so then it takes that whole frustration out uh, because the dog now understands that there is a way to work make the leash pressure work for them right uh, and so even i think like it's a lot of times you don't have to get to where the dog really wants to go like let's say like they see uh, another dog i can teach my dog that uh on a loose leash i will bring them closer to those dogs uh, but not even needing them but even that just like the dog understanding that like when I check mm -hmm. in with Matthias, when I'm on a loose leash, my chances are increasing uh, tenfold that I will go closer or to where I want to go. Um, and when I start getting intense, I start staring or whatever, then it stops. We might go the other way. Um, and so I find that in addition to rewarding loose leash walking uh, is really important. But I find with, with food rewards, again, like you need to be, it's, it's not that it's wrong, but you can do it you can screw it up really quickly. Uh, and I find that yo-yo effect is something that I see a lot of with people that try and use a lot of food to, or, or only food, they, you know, that, 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 that leash communication is not happening. And it's just like, I reward you for loose, loose leash walking in the beginning. It's for a couple steps, then it's for a little longer. Um, but then a lot of times what I find is like that, that, uh, loose leash, then like we get the yo-yo effect where the dog understands or thinks like it's hitting the end of the leash, checking in with you. I get a reward, go back to the leash, checking in with you. So we get that mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, but even if it's not that, I find that if we rely on the food that way, then um, we get a lot of times um, kind of a fragile loose leash walk. Like once the food is gone and not present anymore, or, uh, it's very hard to fade that food out properly if we only use the food uh, because then all of a sudden the food is not present or whatever and the dog gets distracted again. I'm not saying you can't do it that way, but I find the combination of using food uh, mm -hmm. when the dog is in the right position, we do want to reward them. Uh, but also teaching the dog, like when you hit the end of the leash, this is what's happening and, and rewarding the dog for loose leash walking with those life rewards, I think is really the missing mm -hmm. missing ingredient sometimes yeah that makes a lot of sense i love how for a lot of the things that we've talked about today we're getting a couple different potential approaches to work on the same problem and talking about how they can work together in a complementary way to help people get what they're what they need out of their puppies um do you have anything else that i didn't ask you about that you want to talk about before we wrap up here um nope nothing popping into my head right now i'm Excellent. sure there would be more but <laughs> yeah yeah that's okay we can always have you back on <laughs> i'm sure we'll, i'm sure we could do a second episode um Excellent. Well, where can people find you if they want to learn more about the work you do or stay up to date on any uh, additional learning from you? 
Uh, yeah, if, uh, so I'm in Vancouver, Canada. If anybody is interested in puppy raising, you can check that out on BC and Alberta guidedogs.com. Um, so that's the homepage. And then I am mm-hmm. uh, with the IBC as the working animals chair. So you could send me an email at working animals at iabc.org. And then uh, I just started uh, my own pet dog training business that's called lensdogtraining.com. Uh, but that's in its infancy. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and, um, we'll, we'll be in touch. I'm sure going forward and, um, to our listeners, thanks so much for being here. Make sure you subscribe review and, um, consider supporting the podcast and getting extra, um, interaction and information by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. You can sign up for the Puppy Raising Blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint and join the free pandemic puppy raising support group over on Facebook. So you've got lots and lots of options to keep learning from us. Um, Matthias, once again, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Goodbye.